You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Yargle and Multani is a big dumb frog with exactly one job. Smack the opponent for lethal damage by any means necessary. Lawson Zandi returns to share his obsession with Wind Risk Heights and to save Cave Dan from his own bad ideas. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, joining you once again from the windy city of Shinsu, Taiwan. And I'm joined all the way from Dallas, Texas, by Lawson Zandi. Zanman, welcome. Howdy again. Is that a Texas howdy? Is that the appropriate Texas drawl? Well, I, I did go to school at the Texas A&M University, and at the Texas A&M University, the University of Texas, uh, the official greeting is howdy. So, yes. <laughs> well, great to have you back. So, David is off this week. Mort is off this week again. So, always happy to have you back, Lawson. Thanks for filling in. And we got a lot to talk about once again. We are kicking off brewing season for March of the Machines. We have our first card. It was Chrome Host Seed Shark. Lawson, you and I talked at great length about this in Monday's episode. So Seed Shark is the card that definitely wanted to start with that. But what often happens is, you know, your brain just goes in different places, right? There's everyone's in our Discord, like throwing around different ideas, like what about this? What about that? It's too much to fit it all into the Seed Shark. And we don't want to wait forever, right? We want to like strike while the iron is hot. So what we want to do today is what I'm calling the day one, week one, bad ideas episode. These are just miscellaneous ideas that, you know, they came up in the time between our set reviews and recording our first card. We just want to get them out of our system. Hopefully, just describing these concepts out loud will will break the curse and I'll be able to move on and, and work on more responsible cards for the rest of the season. So I do apologize in advance if you're not hoping to hear about Yargle and Multani for like 10, 15 minutes. Uh, this may not be the episode for you, but uh, we'll, we'll start off with some more interesting stuff. So I want to start with you, Lawson, because you've been playing a lot of Magic lately with all kinds of stuff, specifically Shining Shoal, but you've branched out. And I've noticed you've been playing a lot of Windbrisk Heights. Yes. Um... I am going to say that I am the formal person that has played the most Windbrisk Heights in Modern over the past uh, couple of years, just in the past week. Windbrisk Heights, for those of y'all that don't know, your classic Modern staples from Lorwyn uh, originally, all the way back in 2007, um, kind of near the beginning of the Modern format. It's a hideaway land, so when it comes into play... Uh, you get to look at the top four cards for your library, remove one of them from the game face down, then put the rest uh, on the bottom in any order. It taps for one white mana, and then for one white and tap it, you may play the removed card without paying its mana cost if you attacked with three or more creatures this turn. So for long-time modern old heads, uh, this card was the most powerful thing that your opponent could play if they were Soul Sisters. And then this card saw a little bit of play in some like black-white tokens themes, but those decks have not been uh, tier 3 even in modern since probably 2015. So uh, it's it's been quite a while since the Windbreast Kites has had its day to shine in the format. So I've been uh, you know, re-exploring, let's say. Well, in the older versions of the deck, what were they doing with the Windbrist Heights? I mean, obviously, you want to enable it by having creatures that can attack. You need to attack with three creatures. But 
what you get off the hideaway. I mean, do you do you account for that in your deck building? What were they? What was the payoff? Uh, yes, the the payoffs were very different than what I've been interested in recently. The old school thoughts of these decks were basically white weenie decks, and then the things that you're hoping to play off of your wind brisk kites, um, either just a creature to come into play and trigger all of your Souls Warden effects to get you to gain a bunch of life randomly, to put some extra counters on in a, a Johnny um, Pride Mage, or uh, Anthem effect. So Honor the Pure, or Actual Factual Glorious Anthem, or maybe even just a thing that made a few more tokens. So, um, you know, Spectral Procession were all things that were kind of the boogeyman to be underneath the Windbrook's Kites. They attacked me with three creatures, and then they made three more creatures. <laughs> All right, so I assume that's not what you're doing with the heights, but maybe I'm wrong. So what are what are you looking to do with the Windbrisk Heights? And perhaps more importantly, how are you enabling it? Yes, so uh, I am not interested in Spectral Procession, um, at least for my payoff. One of the things that has really shocked me about Windbrisk Heights the reason why I ran into it recently was I did play actually an old school uh, martyr proc deck uh, over this past week. And I found out that even having your Sarah's avatar, or wait, Sarah's avatar, um, what is the name of that one mana? Hopefully, 6 6 flyer, um, was not good enough. Sarah Ascendant. Yeah, Sarah Ascendant. Sarah's Ascendant. Yeah, um, I found out that card is not good enough in Modern, even if it's a 1-mana 6-6 lifelink um, where you're having to jump through some hoops to activate it. There's just so many things that take you off of 30 life early game. People are ready to kill your 1-mana creatures because of Ragavan. And even if you do make it happen, um, you're still going to lose the game to Archon. You're still going to lose your guy to Leyline's Binding and Solitude. Um, oh, you went up to 30 and then you gained 6 life? That's fine. I'm going to Crashing Footballs, now I'm going to Crashing Footballs again. Oh, you're under 30, now your thing's a 1-1. One, one. Like, it isn't what it used to be. But, after playing those Martyr decks, uh, it was very, very easy for me to activate Windburst Kites. And I have been playing a lot of decks recently in Modern, that are playing 4x Emeria's Call and 4x um, Chancellor, which are seven drop spells that I've been playing because sometimes your Ragavans or your Fabled Mirror Breakers are making some treasures, and those cards are really powerful when you do eventually get to cast them. So I wanted to explore, you know, what if you just played this in a deck where eventually you would have some creatures in play and you know you you're already playing the kind of payoffs for having a card like Windbrisk Kites in your deck, incidentally. So that was kind of the uh, inspiration, let's say. It's kind of genius. The whole Chancellor of the Annex Ragavan thing. I mean, you started playing that at Hunter Burton. It's like the white Ragavan scam, if we can call it that. Like turn one Ragavan with Chancellor protection, and then immediately you cast the Chancellor on turn four because they can't kill the Ragavan when you do that and it just spits out three treasure tokens. But then like finding the Windbrisk Heights which is just a card from Modern's past. I mean we had uh, Dak Faden 07 as a guest last week and he was telling us how he loves to just find these old archetypes, old pieces of decks that have just fallen by the wayside people have forgotten about them and give them new life. Right? For him it was like mm -hmm. the Safi Eric's daughter combo in, in like a scam setup. Here, like, yeah, what what's wrong with Windbrisk Heights? You just, I think you were asking about this in the in the Faith of Ruining Discord. Like, hey, what's, why is no one playing the Heights? And I think no one had an answer. We all just forgot about the card. Yeah, that is definitely something that is kind of unique to modern. There is no format that is as welcoming to uh, brewing um, that has you know fifteen twenty years of magic available to it. You know. Modern is as big as it is now as vintage was when modern came out. You know, that like that's just the way that magic is these days. So um, you know, there there are cards that people forget about, and then there there definitely is some room to explore it. When it comes to Windbrisk Kites, there are basically two things that I want to check off to make sure um that we are doing it well. Uh the first one, I want to make sure we've got some actual payoffs for 
you know, what happens when we activate the Windburst Kites and did attack with uh, some creatures. I have found that Solitude and Amaria's Call and um, Chancellor, having those 12 cards at kind of the top of a curve is enough of a payoff to let you um, find success. If you are interested in what the odds are, if you have um, 12 good hits for a um, hideaway land, it makes it to where your success rate with it is, uh, at the very worst, um, about um, uh, about 60%, 61% through a hypergeometric calculator. That might sound not good enough, but it is important to note that Windburst Kites does also let you play lands, so it can find another Windburst Kites and reset itself. And then in specific matchups or specific moments, um, there are plenty of times where you would be interested in a Fable the Mirror Breaker or a Season Pyromancer or, you know, name a card that is in your deck. So, you know, about 80% of the time when I play a Windburst Kites, I'm pretty excited about the card underneath it, and I'm willing to jump through the hoops to try and cast it. You know, I did not realize you could play lands off that. Does that count as your land drop for the turn, or do you actually put the land in during combat? Or whenever you activate, sorry? It does count as your land drop for turn. It does, okay. It does count as your land drop for turn, but it can break uh, timing restrictions. So you can do it at the end of your turn if you randomly needed to, you know, see if you needed to use it. So That's fascinating. So, I mean, it seems like it's working out for you. Not on the 5-0s yet. I know that's been like a, a, a struggle. <laughs> like, almost falling just short of getting to the 5-0s. But what have you learned about the heights so far? Do you have like core enablers that you're going to every time that you've identified as like the best ones? Mm. Um, so, yes, I, I sent a message to, to Cave Dan a couple of days ago. Uh, talking about Windburst Kites, uh, I looked through my Magic Online um, record over my last 100 matches, and I had won exactly 67 and lost 33, all playing these Windburst Kites variants and have been unable to get the 5-0, um, which means there is something here. You are definitely walking uh, a pretty tight rope by trying to be a grindy, beat-downy, you know, white deck in a format where there are so many red cards. Also, you know, you do just run into Yawgmoth decks, which are kind of a 0% matchup, um, you know, and Rhino's decks can draw four Cascade card. Like, everyone else's nut draw is going to be probably better than most of your draws, so that is um, kind of the sketchy part about playing decks like this. The best enablers for Windbreast Heights I have found, um, I, I may sound like a broken record here, but uh, it's Ragavan. Uh, Ragavan is the best thing to turn <laughs> on your Windbreast Kites. Um, so, first reason is Ragavan is a one-drop creature that is incredibly powerful. He makes you additional mana on the first couple of turns, and so he can make it to where you have three creatures attacking on turn three after having played a tap land which is incredible. The other thing that I think is pretty important to um, realize with Windburst Kites is um, if you go turn one, one drop, doesn't even have to be Rakavan, turn two, a second one drop, and a Windburst Kites. On turn three, if you have a way to make sure that your Ragavan gets in, uh, you can actually dash Ragavan, have your only untapped land be Windburst Kites, and then because Ragavan gives you a treasure token, you can now cast the thing underneath your Windburst Kites. Um, so it is pretty cheeky that he can sneak in out of nowhere where your opponent didn't think you had enough creatures to attack. This is often enabled by Solitude or um, having Shining Shoulder your opponent's creature previously. So it does happen more than you would think. Other cards that I have found that do let you do that kind of similar uh, activate Windburst Kites on turn three. Legion's Landing is a one mana um, enchantment that comes into play and makes a token. And similarly, when you attack with three creatures, it actually transforms into a land that can make you tokens later in the game. For Windburst Kites, though, um, it does let you have a extra uh, mana uh, on the turn where you've attacked with three creatures. 
So it, it is a perfect kind of combination to activating the Windburst Kites. And then um, I have also found, uh, kind of fun, funny enough, um, that Bomat Courier has been really, really good in these lists. It's a pretty new addition, but since we are already a deck playing a lot of pitch effects, um, we sprint through our hand pretty quickly. It is also a one-mana creature with haste, so on turn three, it is very easy to play the Bomat Courier, attack, and then automatically activate the hideaway effect. You might be throwing away your Bomat Courier, but if you know your Windburst Kites has a Chancellor of the Annex, you're definitely okay with that. Similarly, if it's an Amarius Call underneath there, um, Amarius Call will also actually give all of your attacking creatures indestructibility. So even though you might be running your um, guys into unprofitable blocks, um, you know that you can save them with the Windburst Heights activation. So This is so fascinating. I'm guessing there's a subset of listeners who are actually quite tired of Ragavan because we never bought it. Like I, I maybe have one copy somewhere, but I've never got a playset, so I've never actually tried these Ragavan decks in paper. It's time. It's time to just buy the card. It is reprinted on the bonus sheet of this set, so the price is going to come down, and I mean, it's just amazing. Like, Lawson, you keep finding new and new things to do with this silly little monkey. So, as long as it's legal, which it seems like it's going to be, you, know, you might as well pick him up now and just start enjoying these sweet lines. Yeah, I mean, he's he is the best one-drop creature I think they've ever printed, and I think that if he didn't have a one-drop cost, and you were priced into dashing him, um, he would be in the top 10 list of best two drops ever printed. So, um, you know, he's pretty okay. Pick him up off your Ranger Captain of Eos, which is so tilting to see. Yep. Yep. Yeah, amazing stuff. I'm sure you're going to get a 5-0 eventually. It may take another 200 matches, I'm not sure, but as long as you're at that pristine 67% win rate... Uh, I think you'll be doing fine. <laughs> so Lawson, is there anything from March of the Machine that you have your eye on for this specific Windbrisk Heights quest? So when it comes to um, trying to make the Windbrisk Heights happen, there is one card that is kind of interesting. Uh, it is the Knight Errant of Eos. Mm -hmm. Similarly, it's a uh, white and four for four mana, or sorry, for a four, four convoke creature. Uh, whenever it enters the battlefield, you look at the top six cards of your library and can put up to two creatures with mana value X or less, where X is the number of convoked creatures into your hand. This card just plays really well into the I'm trying to dump my hand into play, I'm going to try to make something happen kind of strategy. And it is also just a you know very, very individually powerful card. If you're already willing to play a bunch of kind of middling one-drops, you're going to be pretty excited about this. And I've been playing a bunch of very middling one-drops, so I'm pretty excited about playing this. I don't know if it's going to be a four-of, but um, I definitely think that I will probably be playing at least two of it in some of my lists coming up. Um, so uh, you know, be, be checking the, the Discord while I lose my mind and drop um, awesome screenshots. Not the best card to put in off the Windbrisk Heights, because you won't get anything off the trigger, but, I mean, anything else, like, even just paying three for this, tapping two one ones, you're probably going to hit at least one creature, maybe two off that. I was interested in, like, convoking for mm -hmm. the full five, and maybe that's maybe that's not realistic, but, you know, I was trying to push you to put the Spring Jack Shepherd into the deck, which is, is like a white master of waves, but it makes goats, which crucially have a toughness, so they're, they're zero ones, but... That means they survive after the Spring Jack Shepherd dies, unlike Master of Waves. I think uh, at the time you tested it, it was just like Force of Virtue was the only payoff. But like, what if what if you pair that with Knight Aaron of Eos? I know you didn't like the card, but you did get a 4-1. That is interesting. I, I will say I, I did 4-1 that league. Um, it was fine. Um, it was kind of funny how good it played specifically with Benelish Marshall. Benelish Marshall, white, 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 three, three, Lord, or not Lord, but Glorious Anthem effect. Mm. <laughs> you know, it into Spring Jack is, uh, the Spring Jack is going to make four tokens if you don't have anything else going on. Um, all of those tokens are one twos. Um, that deck was also playing Force of Virtue, so 
you know, I did have a couple of games where, you know, turn three, my opponent plays two removal spells, kills both my um, guys, and then I just, you know, play some Force of Virtues, discarding some uh, Squadron Hawks that I had laying around, played a Spring Jack, made, you know, five, two threes out of nowhere, and that that is powerful, you know, so there there is something there with Spring Jack. I, I don't want to get your hopes up too much, um, you know, but uh, it is... <laughs> There is something there, you know? I'm I'm not super interested in exploring it a whole bunch until I solve this Windbrisk Heights thing. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be back. I promise. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. And I look forward to the 5-0 with the Windbrisk Heights and the Spring Jack Shepherds and the Night Aaron of Yoses. <laughs> it's all going to come together. You just got to keep the faith. Play some uh, some Chrome Sharks, you know? Exactly. There you go. Get some border posts in there to support the devotion, to trigger the chrome shark. Beautiful stuff. So I'm going to shift gears here. Lawson's on his windbrisk quest. For me, myself, apart from Seed Shark, is this damn Yargle and Multani card. I just can't get it out of my head, Lawson. So I need to just talk to you about it, and hopefully you can talk me off the ledge and save me some tickets before I incinerate them on, on these truly terrible ideas. Yargle and Multani, legendary team-up, six mana to cast, no keywords, no, no game text. <laughs> it's, it's a six toughness and 18 power. 18 power, this is the biggest power of any creature in the game besides Infinity Elemental, which is silver-bordered. So all we need to do is just Find some combination that converts that big number down there, 18, into something useful. How do you do that? Well, there's there's not that many options, but the few that there are, like, they're, they're sort of plausible. So let me just propose a couple to you, and you tell me if you're going to bite on any of these. Would you pay, in modern, we're in modern now, would you pay one and a black at instant speed to get an 18 power haste creature? No trample, no, nothing going on. Because you can do this. You can get a turn two hit in pretty easily. No. But I'm listening. <laughs> no, you just feel like it's it's not reliable without... Uh, because of the chump blockers, or because you think 18 is not enough, or because you just think it's too weak compared to the other options? I I am worried that 18 is not going to be enough. You know, I, I feel like... This it's kind of similar to like calibrated blasting, you know, where even when you do the thing, sometimes your opponent's at three afterwards, and you're like, oh, awkward. Well, that's what got me down this path, right? Like, calibrated blast keeps creeping up, right? Like, 15 is the most you can do off that, but you know, 15 is not 16, 16 is not 17. Every point makes a difference. 18 is three points bigger than. 15, right? So if you're thinking, well, I could just Goryos and Emrakul, it's not quite that simple. Like, that doesn't actually end the game on turn two. That that hurts them a lot. They lose a land or two. But it doesn't end the game. And then you've shuffled your graveyard away. You can't, like, you can't easily stash the Emrakul in the graveyard. There's all kinds of timing fussiness that happens there. So I, I do actually think Yargle's a meaningful upgrade in the dealing damage department, but I guess that is what I'll have to try. So that same caveat applies to the next card I will propose to you, Lawson. So w- would you be interested in two red red, five four creature, when it enters a battlefield it deals 18 damage to your opponent? Would you play that card? I would play that card. <laughs> We're talking about Kragenwick Cremator here, of course, which previously the most you could do was 16. That was with uh, Impervious, Impervious Great Worm kind of uncastable convoke creature so again we've upgraded that by two fussy to set up right it's a random discard so you have to make sure that there's nothing else in your hand except yargles at that point or other things you're happy to discard and finally this one is the most speculative but would you pay four black red so six mana total four black red for a sorcery that just deals 18 damage to your opponent no no maybe i'm listening that one is that one it sounds like the least amount of work 
Right. That's what's so fascinating about it. So the card in question is Morgue Burst. Draft common from what, Dragon's Maze? Does that sound right? Dragon's Maze? Yeah, that's Dragon Maze. <laughs> it takes a creature out of your graveyard. And then when, when it does that, you get to shoot any target for X damage, where X is the power of the creature that you brought back. You know, kind of clunky, <laughs> overpriced, even for limited. But what if it actually just kills someone? There's no other card that can do this. Morgue Burst is the only one that just hits face. And what's interesting to me about it is it doesn't have to be the main plan, right? Like, you just stash the Yargle in the graveyard for as long as you want. In the meantime, you know, you probably discard your first couple Morgue Bursts to Season Pyromancer, and maybe you pitch it to Fury, pitch it to Grief. It's in the right colors for all of that. But eventually, eventually, you have access to this Take 18 on your Curve Topper. So... I'm going to say something, Dan, and I am going to apologize real quick to your tickets. Go ahead. I'm listening. Have you explored greater good? The, oh, the enchantment greater good. <laughs> so, well, uh, oh, draw 18, discard three. Discard three Venge Finds, play all the hollowed ones you just drew, then bash with all your Venge Finds. Maybe you discard a wonder. Oh my god. Did I break it? <laughs> okay, so that is the sweetest of all the things we've mentioned. It does require A, playing greater good. That's four mana. Two green green. And then you also have to get Yargle in play. So that's six. I mean, so the other aspect of Yargle that is kind of intriguing is that six is not so bad. Like, if you're ramping or if you're just playing a longer game, you might hard cast this. Probably not, but you might. And then what do you do with it? Do you do you fling it? Do you thud it? I think uh, Voldaren Thrillseeker is kind of underrated card from the new set that I would put into a Yargle Multani deck to get access to like a fling effect. I had not considered greater good, <laughs> but I'm listening. Hmm. I, I would say if, if you were going to do greater good with it, you probably need to be cheating it into play. So uh, in, in this kind of list, you know, footsteps of the Goyos or Goyos uh, Vengeance. Um, either one of those uh, would work because we're, you know, happy to do something other than attacking with it. But Exactly. Okay, so let's look at a deck list and you can tell me how far-fetched this all seems when you see it in action. So I think that the most promising shell for any kind of Yargle thing with Crag and Lake Cremator specifically, or with Goryeo's Vengeance, with both of them actually, is the Underworld Cookbook Asmo Package, of uh, Kitchen, as we would call it. Those decks will typically play four cookbooks, four Asmo, and four Urza Saga. The cookbook is super important because not only does it unlock the, like, the cheesy win, right? The turn, turn one cookbook, discard Yargle, turn two Goryos, but it allows you to just get rid of your hand whenever you want. Maybe you don't find the Kragenwick for a while, right? It, it takes several turns to actually get the Kragenwick into your hand. In the meantime, your, your hand is full of old chase daredevils or whatnot. But when the time comes, you'll probably have one or two cookbooks available, and you just quickly discard everything else so that the Kragenwick is guaranteed to hit the Yargle and deal 18 to their face. Even the secondary ability of cookbook, paying for returning a creature from your graveyard to your hand, that could also be important. You know, maybe you had to discard Yargle early, trying to set up a Goryos thing. It didn't work out. And now the piece you need for the Kragenwick combo was actually in your graveyard. So Cookbook helps in that respect as well. And it's also just like a fine thing to do. So you don't want to be too all in on this stupid frog soup thing. So you have a reasonable kitchen deck as well. So that's my theory, at least. And I think you could fit this into either the kind of black-red kitchen Goryeo's Emrakul shell or into the slower red-green food shell. Does that make sense? Yes, and I, I do like it, I think, a little bit more in this um, kind of more traditional Goryeo's Vengeance kind of uh, plan. I do love the fact that Kragenwick in this deck will pretty efficiently be able to discard either Yargle or uh, Emrakul, both of which are probably good enough if you discard it, so um, you know, th these decks, I, I think, are actually much better at, at kind of turning on this effect um, just because of the, the power level of the cookbook. 
So this one I am kind of excited about. Um, I think that Insolent Neonate and Valdir and Epicure do a really good job of doing those, you know, two or three random points of damage that you might need to make sure that the, the Kragan Wick is actually a lethal shot. I would want to make sure that I can get my Asmos to happen, so I might want one more Street Wraith somehow. I might want um, the, the fourth Kragan Wick, but uh, this is a kind of approach that I am kind of interested in. Yeah, so the deck is proven. It's, it's not as popular as Red Green Food, but this shell did win one of the Saturday challenges last weekend. So I was kind of working off that. I had to squeeze in an additional eight cards, right? Four Yargles and four Kragenwick Cremators. And I, I couldn't quite find the slots. I trimmed some numbers, like trimmed numbers on Epicure, trimmed a Street Wraith here, trimmed a Bone Shards. Even after all that trimming, I only got room for three Kragenwicks in the deck, which I think is fine. So you end up with now... Four Emrakul and four Yargle, so you have eight big payoffs for cheesing in the Goryos. You're still playing Profane Tutor, so if you suspend Profane Tutor on turn two, maybe your turn four win comes from, okay, Profane Tutor comes off suspend, and that's my Craig and Wick turn. I'm not totally sure how it's going to play out, but uh, this makes sense to me conceptually. I just, I have to get, all, get it all on paper and just like try it once, and maybe I'll discover immediately that it's terrible. I do like this approach, though. The card that I have not included yet that I think might be important is Shadow Spear. Shadow Spear, normal part of a saga package, but it's especially important with Yargle because, you know, if, if the Goryos thing is going to happen later in the game, they're going to have a blocker and you're not going to get anything out of it. So you, you do actually need to give Yargle Trample at that point, And I think Shadow Spear does that for a reasonable cost, right? Two to Goryos, two to equip the Shadow Spear. That's only four mana total to attack with a 19 power Trample creature. I, I will say, too, that the, the list that you took this from, um, you know, one of the things that these decks are always a little scared of is Graveyard Hate. But the, the Kraken Wick um, line does give us a very, very reasonable, you know, here's a way that we can actually win a game, even if, you know, our graveyard has been turned off. I have talked to people who have tried to play these decks and explain to me that, well, if my opponent, you know, mulligans and hopes that Leyline of the Void is good enough, maybe they die to just kind of crappy, mediocre Asmo plus Insulin Neonate be down. Which I have seen work before, but I definitely would not be putting everything on the line of. But um, this deck, hey, if your opponent mulligans deep for that, at some point we'll draw a Kragan Wick, and Kragan Wick might just say take 15, and that is probably good enough, you know? That's my hope as well. And that's in the Emrakul Goryeo's kind of black-red kitchen. Curious, Lawson, what do you make of like the green-red food shell? So green-red food is going to still have cookbooks and Asmos and Sagos. That, that's for sure happening. But in green-red food, it's a little bit slower, right? So this is something that Aspiring Spike has worked on a lot. You'll typically see Gilded Goose. You'll see Seren Steelseeker, Scrapwork, Mutt, Renin Six. Four Oval Chase Daredevils. Sometimes they're playing Feasting Troll Kings. Uh, but the biggest addition from green is Finale of Devastation, which for just green green gets you that Asmo on turn two. So you have a lot of ways to get Asmo up and running early to get all your cookbooks online. When I took a look at this shell and thought to myself, how would I fit Crag and Wick, Cremator, and Yargle in? What I arrived on was, okay, I do want four Yargles. I think I don't need all four cremators because I, I do have Finale of Devastation for that. And, you know, in theory, this would be a slower deck. So maybe just like two Kragenwicks and four Finales. And maybe I can squeeze in three Goryeo's Vengeance here. Well, it, it's not as good because it, it won't have the ability to get Emrakul's back, but you can still kind of cheat it. You can still do the Shadow Spear line with Yargle. Now you're looking at adding, what, a nine card package to the deck? So you have to, something's got to go. I think Ren and Six has to go because that's not going to play well with Craig and Wick Cremator. It's not going to empty your hand very well. <laughs> so now we're talking about cutting Ren and Six for Yargle, which is very, very stupid, I'm sure. Maybe trim the Steel Seekers, maybe trim the Scrapwork Mutts. And a card that I thought might be interesting here is the Invasion of Ergamon. It's a red-green battle that when it comes into play, rummages one card, you know, discard one, draw one, and makes a treasure which is not super great or anything, but that happens to provide exactly enough resources to cast Asmo immediately because you discarded and you have a mana available from that. So now between Finale on two, 
invasion of Urgamon if you've naturally drawn Asmo. I think you're very likely to get the Asmo. I'm not totally sure if invasion is going to carry its weight. The, the backside is, you know, takes five to flip it. But the other thing it does is it ramps you to four, so you can just play it on two and then cast your Crag and look on turn three. So I I do like these uh, food decks a lot. Um, I I think that um, and I I don't think you've played very much of these decks, but um, Serenworth Stillseeker is um, hiddenly the most powerful card in the deck. It just lets you have so much card selection um, that I don't think we need to have the full four Yargles. If we want one to be in our graveyard for some Glorious Vengeance tech, we can make sure they end up there. Uh, if we want to, you know, find one to draw, um, we can, you know, chew through our deck until we find one and then not put it into our graveyard. So I think that we don't need the full four Yargles for that. But I think that overall, that if if you want to have a deck that is going to get to do something with Yarkle, this this deck will always at some point get you there, you know? That's the hope. I, I think it would take a while. And yeah, maybe maybe going up to Forest Era and Steel Seeker solves all my problems. I don't have to worry about like what to do with all the Yarkles when I draw them. I do like how, again, Cookbook can bring the Yarkle back to your hand if you have to. Mana hungry, and without red and six, we don't have as much access to mana, but we still have Gilead Goose, and yeah, maybe that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, let me real quick put you on to a card that is not in your list, but um, you might be very interested in. Do you know what the card Manifold Key does off the top of your head? Yeah, it's a Voltaic Key, one to cast, one to activate to untap an artifact. And it does something else, but I can't think of what it is. The other thing that it does is for three and tap, you can have target creature can't be blocked this turn. Um, so this is an Urza Saga hit that can give your Yargle unblockability. It can also let you double activate a cookbook. So um, if you already had a cookbook in play, you could Urza Saga, get this thing out of the deck, have it function kind of like another uh, cookbook for, you know, putting Daredevil into the graveyard, into the hand, into the graveyard, into the hand, doing all that. Um, but randomly later in the game, you can just go Goyo's Vengeance, pick back up my Yargle, and then Manifold Key it to have it not be blocked. Oh my god. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, I had no idea that it did that. Alright, yeah, let's try that. Let's put that in. So, one Shadow Spear, one Manifold Key. I'm in. What am I doing? <laughs> So then the other direction, right? I haven't actually sketched out the Morgue Burst scam possibility, but I think it would look a lot like Rakdos scam with just more bad cards. Maybe some persist for the Kragan Cremator instead of like Fane Deaths and maybe uh, like maybe Gorios as well. I'm not, I'm not totally sure about that. The third way to do Yargle is just like normal beatdown with Kragan Wicks on the top. And there's a, a couple of ways you could do it. Like I have a sketch here that I'll put in the show notes. Very poorly thought out. The idea is if I have four Kragenwick Cremators and I just want to get that as often as possible with my Curve Topper, maybe Eldritch Evolution gets me there. So maybe it's like, you know, some Mana Dorks. I have Birds of Paradise. I have Ignoble Hierarch here. String of Root Geist on two. Voice of Resurgence on two. These are not great, but they are fodder for Eldritch Evolution. My main target is Kragenwick Cremator. I have four of those. Four Yargle that I just have to draw at some point. Or you could Eladamri's Call for it, I guess. And two Furies, and then like a minor package of like Omegas of the Moon, a Voldaren Thrill Seeker for the Sacrifice, uh, an Endurance, a Bonecrusher Giant. As I look at it, it looks incoherent to me, but this is what Craig and Wick Cremator decks used to be like. Like if you look for 5-0s in the past with Cremator and that 16-16 Worm, this is what they looked like. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this, this concept? Um, I do like the concept. Um, uh, not to, you know, blow your brain twice so quickly. Um, but I think that this list, uh, might actually be the perfect deck. I want to make sure I've got the, the name of this card correct. Um, Noose Constrictor. Um, <laughs> so what you can do with Noose Constrictor in this list is you can go turn two Noose Constrictor. And then if your opponent had shocked at any point, you can go cast Eldritch Evolution, uh, or you can go discard all of my hand except for Yargle, and then Eldritch Evolution, Noose Constrictor into Kragenwick, and then Kragenwick, Yargle. Okay. All right. 
And that's better than Lotleth Troll, right? Because it gets rid of anything. It doesn't care if it's a land. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't care what it is. It's just any card. Discard a card, give it plus one, plus one. Gosh. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I love how you just like snap off these. <laughs> I'm going to incinerate so many tickets on this, Lawson. <laughs> so I, need, I need something else, right? Like that, that card is not playable on its own. So is there something else to synergize? Like, do I want Venge Vines? Do I want... Um, Gosh, I don't know. I mean, there's a there is one from uh, Modern Horizons two as well that is a um, discard a card to give it life link, and then if you have threshold, it, it gets plus one plus two, so it's a three three. So um, if you just want to be like a beatdown deck that has an Eldritch Revolution plan in it, um, it's called Cabal Initiate. Um, it might oh be <laughs> slightly better than Noose Constrictor. I, I mean, I. You know, at the, this point, it's, you know, choose choose your poison. But um, I, I think that having a, like, effectively two-card combination that says deal 18 points of damage in the form of have this two-drop and an Eldritch Evolution is, like, kind of interesting. Now, of course, you can get blown out by uh, counter magic, and, you know, that would suck if you discarded five cards in your hand. Um, to give your Cabal Initiate lifelink, 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 lifelink. And then, uh, you know, it got countered. But, you know, we <laughs> we live by the sword. We do die by the sword. It is what it is. So shifting directions from the Cabal Initiate for, for just a, a tiny second here. I did wonder if, like, this evolution shell is actually leading me down the wrong path. Like, maybe it's just stronger to say, okay, forget Eldritch Evolution. Forget Strangerrootgeist. I'm going to be better off if I think of the deck as like red, green Ponza, like Arbor Elf, Utopia Sprawl, maybe Ragavan. That's my one drops. Three drop, I want Blood Moons, I want Fables, I want Seasoned Pyromancer. And when you have that core, you just top it off with something. And maybe Crag and Wick Cremator plus Yargle is that something. Where if you happen to draw them both, you, you do the thing. But if you don't, like this shell is going to get to six in a timely way. So you can just cast the Yargle if you want to. Like, does that seem like a stronger shell, even though it's going to combo less frequently? Um, I will say that after playing Ponza decks over the past probably five years in Modern, it is kind of funny how incredibly bad your win conditions can be from time to time. Um, the, the secret of early game interaction into any amount of disruption into creature with power and toughness will just end the game um, a decent percentage of the time. So I, I do think that Kragenwick does meet the standard of card with power and toughness. Um, I don't love the idea of having a combo in the Ponza deck. I mean, I guess, I guess Fable and Season Pyromancer both let you discard it if it doesn't matter at the point in time so that is a real benefit but i've i've never explored a two card combination in those kind of decks before yeah i mean it sounds bad to call it a two card combo because you have no card selection whatsoever the only reason i would consider it is because both halves of the combo are functional creatures like they're not great but you know who knows maybe casting yargle on turn four or five maybe that just wins it probably doesn't, but like they do have to stop it. It is gonna just gonna kill them in one hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hard casting Yargle, I'm not sure where that will lead me. Like I, I love the idea of like Voldaren Thrill Seeker or even just Thud or something to just <laughs> kill them that way. <laughs> have all these backup ways to make the Yargle useful, but that's getting into like a lot of mana, and I'm not sure if that's like a fail state or something we should actually actively incorporate into the game plan. Yeah, I think I think that Yargle's best uh, thing to do is not have him ever end up in play. You know, I, I think that, or at least, uh, I never want to spend six mana. If he ends up in play some other way, um, I'm now a little more interested in the fact that 18 power has fallen into play. But uh, if I'm ever, you know, casting this thing for six mana and then saying go, uh, that is that is a nightmare to me. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate your thoughts on this. You've given me ample fair warning not to do this, so I'm considering the tickets at my own risk. Yeah, Yargle and Motani. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I just like, got this frog on the brain. 
<laughs> but Lawson, any other thoughts as we head into the first week of testing? How are you feeling about the set? I am wildly excited about this set. Um, I mean, you know, something awful has happened when, as an old school magic player like myself, uh, there is hope for Tarmogoyf, you know, and battles have given me that hope for modern power toughness matters magic. I will report back in the, the Discord uh, plenty with, uh, you know, battles that have uh, defense counters left on them uh, with a <laughs> opponent has won the game uh, thing up. But uh, I, I will also be posting the times where I have four and maybe five uh, flips uh, battles on my side. So I will, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll do the science for everyone else. I'll have the fun for everyone. You win battles, you get respect, just like Eminem. Excited to see what you do with all this. Uh, yeah, if you end up streaming that, I will definitely check it out. You know, you can often find Lawson in the Faithless Brewing Discord streaming these wind brisk brews. The 5-0 is coming. It's definitely coming. Keep the faith. What's what's the saying about the rain dance? Uh, if you just keep dancing till the rain comes, it will have worked. Is that the saying? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it, in one of the whiteboards here at our house. We've got a, a motivational quote from a comedian talking about the the rain dance, and it is always a dumb quote to me. But if I keep dancing, eventually it will rain. So that's. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm excited to try all this out. I'll be trying the seed shark. I'll probably be trying Yargle as well. To be perfectly honest. And we'll report back on how all of that went uh, in next week's show. So Lawson, thanks again for joining. And we will see you next time. Have a good one. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for new brews with Rona, Herald of Invasion, plus testing results from Shark Week. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. I had one last thing that I wanted to bring up about Windbrisk Heights, and it's just a really interesting rules interaction. And I'm going to tell you the story of how I learned this rules interaction. Uh, this story does include me actually going to the long form magic rule books to actually um, find the exact uh, writing on this. So um, you will enjoy this. Uh, but Windbrush Heights, just to, you know, fully read the card one more time, um, or at least the important section, white and tap. You may play the Exiled card without paying its mana cost if you attacked with three or more creatures this turn. Now, this is actually an effect that you can activate at any point. Whether you have attacked this turn, you have not attacked this turn, if you have attacked with enough creatures, if you have attacked with not quite enough creatures yet. Uh, which is a little clunky, but uh, just a thing to keep in mind. Just because it, you know, has an option uh, doesn't mean you should activate it. Also. If you do activate it and have met the requirements of having attacked the three creatures during the turn, uh, you don't have to play the card underneath Windbrusk Heights. I can't imagine a situation in which you activate the Windbrusk Heights and then your opponent does something and then you decide you would not like to, but that is an option that you always have. And Magic Online's interface for Windbrusk Heights is not fantastic. Uh, when you activate the ability... When uh, your opponent doesn't have any uh, responses to it, it asks you if you would like to play the card underneath Windbrush Kites. And if you click OK, what you have told Magic Online is, no, I would not like to cast it. So uh, you actually have to click on the card that is underneath the Windbrush Kites on the battlefield to cast the spell. And so here's the situation I found myself in. I have two creatures in play, and one of them is an Adeline. So I attack with my two creatures, I have an Amarius call underneath, and uh, my opponent blocks my 1-1 uh, token, and they block the other creature that was attacking with the Adelaine, um, and I activate my uh, Windbrisk Kites, I'm going to cast the Amarius call, but I, I think I just double-click through it, and so we lose our token, we lose our creature, frustrating, but 
um, you know, m- moto fails and player fails are, you know, a one and the same oftentimes. Uh, it's fine. I've got an Esper Sentinel in my hand. I go ahead and play my Esper Sentinel and I pass the turn back to my opponent. Uh, they do a whole lot of nothing. They pass back to me and I'm getting my Ameris call this time. So I attack with the Esper Sentinel. I attack with the Adeline. I get my token and I activate the Windburst Kites. It is at this moment that when I activate the Windburst Kites, so that I can cast my Amiri's Call, so that I can save my Esper Sentinel and this other token that is uh, about to die. It again does not give me the pop-up to actually let me cast the uh, Amiri's Call. And so I'm thinking that there is one of two things. Either there is a bug on Magic Online that is not counting the fact that I have three creatures that are attacking, or that there is a really, really awkward rules interaction. Much to my surprise, Modo was working perfectly fine, actually, and there actually is a rules interaction here. For a creature to be considered attacked, uh, it needs to declare an attack. I know that sounds very simple and straightforward, uh, but a creature being an attacker uh, at the end of combat does not mean it had attacked. It just means it was an attacker. Uh, the notes on it, um, as given by Wizards, um, states that uh, at the time the ability resolves, uh, you'll get to play the card if you declared three different creatures as attackers at any point in a turn. Um, now, one creature can't be declared as an attacker multiple times if there were multiple combat phases. And it actually does reference the fact that there are many cards that will put tokens into play tapped and attacking. And those will not have count. And that seemed really strange to me. So I actually went and looked up in the uh, comprehensive uh, rules why that is. Uh, what I learned was for a creature to be considered having attacked, it needed to be on the battlefield at one point and not be attacking. Um, it is not enough for a creature to uh, be in the combat step, be an attacker, no longer be in the combat step. It needed to, at one point, have been on the battlefield and not been attacking. So um, that is your fun little rules interaction uh, to enjoy. 